day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope everyone's having a happy Friday. All right, guys, I've got something a little bit different for you today. Uh, We have got a little bit of a history lesson. We've got a little bit of a geography lesson. And then I'm going to explain the very bizarre way those two subjects are tied together. Or at least I think it's bizarre. Uh, People that grew up here don't seem to think a lot about it. I guess it's just because that's the way it's been pretty much their whole life. But it's very strange, and I can't believe that everybody doesn't feel that way. So let's start with the history lesson. And the lesson for today is about the Native American athlete named Jim Thorpe. Now, I'm a little bit older. Even I was not. I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard the name Jim Thorpe. I was somewhat aware that he had won a gold medal in the Olympics. I was somewhat aware he played football, but enough time has passed. You just a lot of, you don't hear the name Jim Thorpe anymore. And I don't think a lot of people alive today are really aware of who he was and what he accomplished in his lifetime. But Jim Thorpe was born, and this is the first odd thing about him. He was either born on May 22nd or the 28th, 1887. Now, I can understand if you said we're not sure of the day, but how can you not be sure of the day, but you're sure that it was one of these two days a week apart? Um, Unless the only thing I can think of is, well, we knew he was born on a Tuesday, so it had to be either there or there. That is the only explanation of how they could have two days a week apart that they feel is probably his birthday. But he was born in 1887, which means that he would have turned 18 years old in 1905. Now, Jim Thorpe was six foot one inches tall and weighed 202 pounds. Now that, even today, that is a pretty big dude. It's not a monster by any stretch of the imagination. I could go down to the mall and within 20 minutes, I'm sure I could find somebody much larger than six foot one. But can you imagine at the turn of the century in 1905, the average height was five foot seven? And you see somebody walking around at six foot one and 200 pounds. He would have been a monster in his day. But Jim Thorpe was born on the Sac and Fox Nation Reservation in what is now Oklahoma. Now, there's not a lot of information given about his years growing up. I would assume that growing up on an Indian reservation in the 1900s, he probably was not super well off. But most of the information, if you start reading about Jim Thorpe, has to do once he got to college and his athletic career. And boy, howdy, is there plenty to talk about at that point. Um, As I said before, he did win Olympic gold. Uh, I would have assumed he won a Olympic gold. He actually won two at the 1912 Stockholm Olympics. Uh, He won a gold medal in the pentathlon. And he actually set a record in the decathlon. He won gold in the decathlon as well. He became the first Native American to win gold for the United States, or uh, I assume any gold. But specifically, he was obviously playing or part of the American Olympic team. He actually had his medals stripped shortly after the Olympics. It it came out that he had actually played a couple of years of semi-pro baseball while he was in college. As a semi-pro baseball player, he was receiving a small salary for playing on that team which meant that he was not an amateur athlete, which disqualified him to compete in the Olympics. Uh, They've changed that now, obviously, with like the Dream Team basketball team. They allow professionals into the Olympics now, 
that actually is a relatively new development. Used to be you had to be an amateur athlete. You could not have played any professional sport and be eligible for the Olympics, even if the sport that you played professionally had nothing to do with what you were doing in the Olympics. If you had been paid as an athlete, you were not allowed to attend the Olympics. Well, somebody found out that Jim Thorpe had been paid to play baseball, and the Olympic Committee took his two gold medals away, and the people that actually received silver were made the gold medal winners of those Olympics. Now, there was a big push after Jim Thorpe's death to have him reinstated, and it was actually overturned. In 1983, they reinstated his gold medals. It was discovered that when his gold medals were stripped from him, it was after the deadline to make such an accusation, basically. Uh, they had 30 days to verify whether or not someone was an amateur. They found out about his baseball career after the 30 days, so his gold medals were reinstated to him in 1983. And if you look up the winners of the pentathlon and the decathlon those years, they did not give the silver to the second place in those events. They just made them co-golds at that point. Actually, there's a very good example of sportsmanship to be learned from all this. Uh, he may have passed at this point. In fact, if he was in the 1912 Olympics, I'd almost guarantee you the guy's dead now. But one of the people, I can't remember if it was the silver medalist in the pentathlon or the decathlon, at the time that Jim Thorpe was reinstated and made uh, co-gold winners, this gentleman actually was very strongly petitioning to have him move back to silver and let Jim Thorpe have the gold by himself. Uh, the Olympic Committee did not do that. Obviously, they just made them co-gold medalists. But that's how how many people alive today would do that? Just say, no, take my gold medal and give it to him because he actually won. There might be one person out of 100,000 that would actually do that these days. But Jim Thorpe was not just an Olympic athlete. Uh, he was one of the most gifted athletes of all time. A lot of times in Olympic athletes, there's just not a lot of crossover into professional sports. The pentathlon and decathlon are both track and field events, and there's just not a huge professional sprinter circuit out there. But as we said before, uh, Jim Thorpe had played baseball. He also played professional football. He also played professional basketball. Uh, here's just a short list, and believe me, this is not a complete list of the teams he played for. Uh, but he played for the Canton Bulldogs, which was a football team, the Cleveland Indians, baseball, the Oorang Indians, I don't know, uh, the Rock Island Independents, the New York Giants, that's the baseball Giants, not the football Giants, the Tampa Cardinals, the Chicago Cardinals, and the Boston Braves. Now, like I said, that's not the only teams he played for. There were some smaller semi-pro and single-A teams, but he played three sports professionally, and was dominant at all three. Just some of the accolades that he, and all these are for football, uh, except for one, it sort of crosses over. Uh, but when he was in college, he was a two-time All-American. Uh, with the NFL, he earned uh, first-team All-Pro honors. He was part of the NFL All-Decade team of the 1920s, the NFL 50th anniversary All-Time team, and the Associated Press voted him number one, the number one professional athlete for the first half of the 20th century. 
Uh, one other little interesting thing about his football career, he was also the first president of the American Professional Football Association. Now, I had never heard of the APFA, and I'm sure a lot of you haven't either. Uh, that goes by the name of the NFL now. So he was basically the very first president of the NFL. He was also inducted into the Hall of Fame. He was part of the inaugural class in 1963. There were 13 players inducted in that first year, and Jim Thorpe was one of the first. He was one of the original members of the Football Hall of Fame. And again, that is an abbreviated list. A lot of times you'll hear people say that, and they're leaving one or two things off. But they'll say that they're not going to list all the accomplishments to make it seem like there's a bunch of stuff they're not talking about. In this instance, I was not even going to try to name all the teams that that man played for, all the sports that, all the different sports that those teams were associated with. He also coached for several years after he stopped playing. And the list of things that he did in sports just goes on and on and on. I could literally sit and talk for just like 25 minutes just about the stuff he did and the teams he played for. Also, this show really isn't just a biography on Jim Thorpe, so I'm trying to keep it short. Uh, if you want to do some reading on him, like I said, he had an incredible professional career. You know, By all means, dive into it. There's a lot there. You can keep yourself entertained for a few hours, if not a couple of days, reading about just his playing time. Now, like I said, he did some coaching after he played. Uh, he had gotten out of coaching by the time the Great Depression rolled around. Uh, he did not have the greatest record as a coach, so I don't know if he just sort of matriculated out of the profession or if he got tired of it. But by the time the Great Depression rolled around, he was out of sports entirely. Uh, he really fell on some hard times during the Depression. He worked as a bodyguard. He got a job very briefly as a merchant marine. He worked as a construction worker, ditch digger. I mean, basically, like a lot of Americans at that time, just doing whatever he could find and earn a little bit of money. Uh, now, he did have a little bit of a renaissance. He became an actor. Uh, he was in several movies, never as a star. Uh, mostly, and this is not going to come as a huge shock, he would play Indian chiefs and Indian warriors in westerns. Now, I think he appeared in like 12 or 15 Hollywood movies. Uh, one of the ones that he appeared in was actually uh, the story of his own life, which he sold for, I think, uh, adjusted for inflation, it was like $25,000. Uh, but he sold the rights to a movie studio, and they made a movie. It starred Burt Lancaster, because, of course, why would you get someone that sort of looks like a Native American to play Jim Thorpe? You know, Burt Lancaster is one of the whitest people on the planet. But he actually appeared in the movie about his own life. He played, and it was just sort of a cameo appearance, he played one of the assistant coaches on one of the football teams. Uh, but he never made a great deal of money acting, and like I say, he was only in a handful of films. By the time that he actually passed away, uh, he'd battled alcoholism for like the last 20 years of his life. Uh, but he wound up in Lomita, California. Uh, he was married at the time. It was actually his third wife. Uh, but he passed away in 1953 at the age of 65. And unfortunately, when he passed away, even after that amazing professional athlete, athletic career, uh, a little bit of time in the movies. He was completely broke when he passed away. He had, I mean, literally had no money to his name when he passed away. Uh, actually, a couple of years before he died, he developed lip cancer. 
And he was treated for that as a charity case. The hospital actually did the work for free because his income and his financial situation was so bad that he qualified for an assistance program that they treated him for free, basically. It's kind of sobering, pardon the pun, that you know, a man can have the kind of career that he had and live the life that he lived and wind up with just absolutely nothing at the end of it. But it's at this point I would like to move over to the geography section of today's show. Uh, there is a little town about 45 minutes drive from where I'm sitting right now that is named Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Now, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania is this very picturesque little mountain town. I don't know the population of it. I would assume it's just a few thousand. It, like I say, it's a very small mountain town. Uh, it sits in the Lehigh Valley Gorge. There is a river that borders the town, and the town looks like what you would think small-town America would look like in the 50s. I mean, it's just a very quaint-looking little town. There's all these little shops. Uh, you don't see any chains at all. You know, There's no McDonald's or a Burger King inside the town. It's all these little boutiques and mom-and-pop shops and little independent restaurants uh, there's several bars in the area. A lot of people will go and do a bar crawl in Jim Thorpe because you could walk from one end of the town to the other in 10 minutes if you wanted to. But it's very pretty. It's uh, always very crowded. It's a big tourist destination for this area. There is uh, whitewater rafting in the gorge. There is a an excursion train. Uh, you can ride a little scenic railroad that goes along the river in the gorge. It's very pretty. The only complaint I have about that train ride is it's very short. You only go about two miles out, and then they turn around and you go two back, two miles back into town. But the tickets are, are very reasonable. The tickets are like $7 a person, so you don't feel ripped off. And and I don't want didn't want to go for a three-hour train ride, but I was kind of surprised that it was that short. I mean, the train ride even out and back, even with the time that they have to uncouple the engine and turn it around so they can pull you back into town— only took 25 minutes, maybe. Uh, but it's a very pretty town. A lot of people go there to visit. Like I said, it's a big tourist destination in this area. And at this point, you might be saying, why the hell are you telling me about some little town near where you live? And why is it named the same as the athlete that you started talking about before? And I will say that, well, that's not a coincidence. It is a good question. And those two things are connected in a very bizarre and a little bit macabre way. Now, I mentioned a few minutes ago that Jim Thorpe was completely destitute when he passed away. Uh, now, the town of Shawnee, Oklahoma, which is near where Jim Thorpe was born, and it's actually the town in which his funeral service was performed, uh, his body was there. Um, it had not been interred. And the town of Shawnee was trying to raise money to build a monument to Jim Thorpe and have him buried in that town. Now, the plans to build this monument, even though they were trying to raise funds, the linchpin of the fundraising plan was to get funding from the state to build this monument to Jim Thorpe. Uh, it did actually make it onto a state bill that would have provided the funding, and the governor of that state vetoed that bill and shot down the funding, and suddenly the town of Shawnee had no way to build a monument to Jim Thorpe. Now, I mentioned that he was married, and he was uh, married to his third third wife when he passed away. His widow, uh, without the knowledge or the blessings of his family, 
took Jim Thorpe's remains and took them by train to Pennsylvania. Now, the reason that she did this is because somehow or another, she had gotten wind that there was a small community, actually two small communities in Pennsylvania called Ma Chunk, and that is spelled M-A-U-C-H space C-H-U-N-K. It actually refers to the shale bed that the coal seams sit on, covers a lot of Pennsylvania, Maryland, and actually a little bit into West Virginia. But there were two towns named after this shale bed, uh, Machunk, and then there was East Machunk. It's basically the other side of the river. They made a deal with Jim Thorpe's widow. Uh, they paid her money to bring his remains to the town. The two towns incorporated into one town, renamed themselves Jim Thorpe, and they built a monument and a tomb. And I've, I've actually, I've been to it. It's, it's a very pretty monument. Uh, but they buried Jim Thorpe in the newly named town of Jim Thorpe. Uh, the monument, uh, the tomb sits off to the side of the road. There's a place where you can park and walk over to it. Uh, there's two statues of him in athletic poses to either side of the tomb. Uh, the town's actually brought in dirt from two places. They brought it in from the Sac and Fox Nation Reservation where he was born, and they somehow managed to get dirt from the site of the Stockholm Olympics in 1912. And the base of this monument is built on dirt from his his homeland and where he competed in the Olympics, which I thought was a kind of a nice touch, but it's it's a little creepy of why they wanted the dirt, and it explains why he wound up being buried in a little town in Pennsylvania that he had never set foot in. Uh, the only connection he had to this area, and I'm stretching the definition of this area to its breaking point when I say this, Jim Thorpe went to college in a little town just south of me called Carlisle. Uh, now, Carlisle sits in the southeastern part of the state. I actually drive past Carlisle when I go home to visit family in Virginia. 81 runs just past Carlisle. But if you were driving there, even on 81 today, it's two hours down to Carlisle. So you can imagine, I'm sorry, it's not two hours. It's about an hour and a half. My, my apologies. But you can imagine that that's not really in the same area. I always wondered how he wound up being buried in this little town. The man has no connection here. He has living family still in Oklahoma. Why on earth isn't he buried there? His family actually is not very happy at all that his remains are here in Pennsylvania. Uh, the family, the surviving members of his family, have actually been fighting a court battle to try to get his remains moved back to the Sac and Fox Reservation. It looked like they were going to succeed for a while. There was a federal judge that decreed that the town of Jim Thorpe, since they were named after him and had a monument built to him, that the entire town sort of amounted to a museum. Now, why that's important is there is a federal law that says that Indian artifacts, and particularly remains of Indians, uh, that are kept in a museum, they have to be returned to the nation that those items belong to. So if Jim Thorpe had remained designated as a museum, they would have been, by law, required to return Jim Thorpe's remains back to his family so they could bury him on his ancestral lands. 
About a year after that decree was made, another federal judge came in and overruled that ruling, basically saying is you cannot say that an entire town is a museum. First of all, to be designated as a museum, it has to receive funding specifically to house and curate these artifacts. And of course, a town does not get anything like that. In 2018, it was actually sent to the Supreme Court. Uh, The Supreme Court declined to hear that case, uh, which basically means that uh, Jim Thorpe's family's legal battles to try to get his remains moved back to Oklahoma are over, and he will stay here in Pennsylvania. Now, I don't have anything against the town of Jim Thorpe. Like I say, I've visited it a few times. It's a very nice town, uh, some really good restaurants, but it is so creepy and macabre that that is how the name of the town came to be. Now, I had heard sort of a euphemistic story regarding that, that his wife brought his remains here because the town offered to build this memorial to him, and that's why she brought him here, because no other place wanted to build a monument to this Native American, no matter how great of an athlete he was. But when you really dig into it, and and I get it, that looks a hell of a lot better on a pamphlet than, well, his widow was broke, so we paid her cash for his remains so we could use his corpse as a draw for tourism. And that's really what's happened here. I mean, I know the town of Jim Thorpe doesn't want to tell that story. It doesn't sound very nice. But that's really what happened. I mean, they, I mean, if there's no way to sugarcoat it. They basically just bought this guy's remains to use him as a tourism destination. It's really the only way you can look at it. All right, guys, that is the end of my story today. Um, It's a little bit weird. I hope you enjoyed it. I know it kind of blew me away when I found out what had happened and why it happened. And like I always say, the why is as important as the what in pretty much every situation. Uh, But I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, If you did, please give me a subscription, leave a comment, and share it with your friends. And as always, you can leave me a comment at the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page or at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com. Oh, and one other thing, the little project I set for myself to read Rules for Radicals, and I actually ordered the Communist Manifesto as well. Uh, Those have arrived. I'm going to start reading that this weekend. Interesting note. Could not find them at the local Barnes & Noble. They didn't carry them, uh, which, if you'll remember in that episode, I said I don't think most of these progressive leftists have read those books, and this sort of reinforces my belief, because if people were reading them, they would be buying them, and if people are buying them, the stores would be carrying them. But again, I had to order those off Amazon, so make of that as you will. All right, guys, I will talk to you again on... Monday. I hope you have a good weekend and enjoy your Friday. Thank you very much.